Get ready for unique, rare, and little-known treasures from the golden age of radio. You're listening to The Amazing World of Radio with Adam Graham. Welcome to The Amazing World of Radio, and we are back with our spring series. And this spring, we're bringing you The Whistler, The Lost Episodes. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me. Box 13 at greatdetectives.net. Well, this is going to be a bit of a longer introduction than normal to make sense of what we're doing. Now, of course, the Whistler, the Lost episodes, is a bit of a misnomer since we have them, so they're not lost. However, they've not been in circulation for decades. So, if you want to in your mind, you can say these are the Whistler, the newly found episodes. That makes you feel better. Now, The Whistler was an American radio program that aired from 1942 to 1955. The series was an anthology program, and some early episodes felt like kind of like suspense or had like some huge supernatural element to them. But the series settled into a mode of The Whistler telling us a strange tale of someone who had stepped into the dark. Often a person who wasn't a, a criminal professionally, though certainly they could work in stories like that, but they had made a decision. They had crossed a moral line. And often the series built towards them crossing that line and then them thinking they were going to get away with it, but them having one ironic fatal flaw that brings them to a very unsatisfactory end. Now, of course, there are exceptions. A big example of an exception would be the Christmas episode of The Whistler we played for you in December. For the bulk of its run, The Whistler was a West Coast-only program sponsored by the Signal Oil Corporation. Although it did later have a national run, and there was a uh, run in Chicago sponsored by Meisterbrow Beer. And one of those episodes was actually the very first episode we did on The Amazing World of Radio. As the years have gone on, and there have been more uh, trades and acquisitions, a lot of really nice-sounding episodes have come into circulation. There are more than 500 episodes of The Whistler circulating around. But that left nearly 200 episodes missing. Which brings us to the lost episodes of The Whistler. Old time radio programs continued to be played by armed forces radio programs long after the end of the golden age of radio. And back during those early days of old-time radio trading, the original network broadcast of The Whistler were unavailable. However, a service member overseas, or perhaps a family member, went ahead and did a recording of several episodes of The Whistler. And these were transferred onto tapes and became the first episodes to get traded. The sound quality was always an issue with these. Uh, and I'm quoting the archive.org uh, information written by the uh, Johan uh, Memorial Collection Project. I think Joe Webb wrote these based on the voice. Uh, the episodes have been in relatively poor 
uh, sound with electric hum and strong backdown noise. Over the years, collectors have tried to adjust the sound with equalizers and other equipments. They were working with, with tape, which meant while they were attempting to make the program sound better, they were also adding hiss and other audio issues that technology had as each generation of copying was done. So essentially, with uh, so many of these episodes, the editing was either making it worse or not making it better and just replacing the old flaws with new flaws. Now this is where the collection of Mr. Johan uh comes into play. Mr. Han passed away in 2020, and the old-time radio researchers acquired his collection, and they have been working through it, and they found some uncirculated programs, and they found some improvements in sound quality. In the case of these particular reel-to-reels in Mr. Han's collection, they were acquired in 1968. So there had been a lot less processing, and they were much closer to the original recording date. And the volunteers at the OTRR have gone ahead and they've pro and they've processed, and I'm again quoting the website, been processed to minimize these problems and reveal underlying audio that may have... Uh, defects, but have more clarity. So this is essentially as good as it's going to get for this particular recording set. And what's really nice is that five of these recordings had completely dropped off the map. They were in such poor condition. The copies that were out there, nobody wanted to trade for them. They had just been processed to death and copied to death, and the sound quality was so bad. And so with these much earlier recordings, we now have something we can listen to for these five programs. In addition, there's an additional one program where there's an episode in circulation, but the circulating copy is missing the closing. So now we get to hear the closing of that episode. That's what's planned for the next six weeks. Thanks to the great work by the folks at the Old Time Radio Researchers. Now, the first episode we're going to bring to you originally aired July the 11th of 1954. And I will warn you that uh, this is probably as rough as it's going to get in terms of audio quality. It's the only one they labeled very low quality, so be advised. Let's go ahead and take a listen, and then we'll come back. Presented by the United States Air Forces in Europe. And I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. Atmosphere of the quaint artist town Cypress Point on the California coast. 
Prince Harwell was calm, too, before he entered the drugstore. Yes, he could even take pleasure from the fact that the local newspaper was to run his picture in an early issue under the heading, Architect to Wed Local Novelist. There would be a story about the home Clint had built, too, the pertinent facts about his background. And there would probably be little, if any, mention of the uh, accidental drowning of his wealthy Aunt Catherine Harwell. In the drugstore, Clint waited with his back to the proprietor and the customer that he was waiting for. That be all, Mr. Lewis? Yeah, I think so, Doc. No razor blade, toothpaste, anything like that. Well, I got them all, Doc. Well, I'll just wrap up these things for you. I- I'll be right there. There's no hurry. Any more trouble with those protection racketeers, Mr. Willis? Well, I keep hearing from them. The dreadful thing, you know. Yeah, terrible. I certainly wouldn't give in to them. Here you are, Mr. Willis. Drop in again. Sure thing. Good night, Doc. Uh, now, I believe I know what you want, Mr. Howell. Yes, sir, your picture. You got them developed, Doc? Oh, certainly. I do all that work myself. You know, I have that lad in the back. Oh, I didn't know. Really? With all the seasons you've been coming down here? <laughs> well, anyway, they're ready, huh? They turned out fine. Let's see now. Check the file. Razor. There's Harwell. Here you are. Oh, thanks, Doc. How much is that? A dollar fifty. Surprise, Mr. Harwell. Uh, 
Somali or something. I, 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 yes, yes, I, yes, I did. Bone booths don't make very good hiding places, Mr. Howell. I sort of figured you might have something on your mind, something to do with pictures. Yes. These pictures on the wall, I am afraid I don't understand them, Doc. Not at all. Is it so hard to understand, Mr. Howell, that I'd want to surround myself with reminders of people I was fond of, who'd been good to me? Your aunt was especially kind to me, Mr. Howell. She helped me open this door years ago. I didn't know that. There were many things about your aunt you didn't know. She didn't talk to many people, but we were real good friends. She told me lots of things. All right. So you and Aunt Catherine were good friends. And this snapshot, her face looking at me from the sea, was all your idea, eh, hey, Doc? Just a simple double exposure, Mr. Howell. Call it bait if you want to. The point is, you rose to the bait. Why? Why did you do it? When your aunt drowned last season, Mr. Howell, I went along with the accidental verdict the sheriff handed down. I was too shocked then to remember some of the things she told me. Like what? Like how you wanted money to build those arty houses you designed and marry Louise Phillips, a nice girl. But a girl who's always had everything she wanted. Is that all, Doc? Mm -hmm. No. She also told me she was afraid of you. Afraid you might hasten her death. I don't believe that I'd say any more, Doc. She was afraid of the ocean, too. She loved to look at me. But deadly frightened to be honest, especially with you. The ocean is such a natural place for an accident to happen. I've heard all I intend to. You don't have to hear any more, Mr. Howell. I think the sheriff might be interested in what I had to say, though. No, Doc. No. You're not going to the sheriff. Oh, yes, I am. No, you're not, Doc. My aunt told you too much. And you're not going to say a word against me. You can't stop me, Mr. Howell. There's no way. There's one way, Doc. This way. <laughs> later, doesn't it, Clint? Minutes that are actually seconds when you stare at your hand, at the heavy piece of photograph equipment that it holds. And then you glance down at the floor of Doc's darkroom. React again. Shock clear through at what you see. I did it. I've killed him.
Can you get in the night, Jack? Oh, pleasure. I just unlocked my little house again. <laughs> I bet you missed this thing away all week. Oh, I did. I couldn't decide which I missed more. My house or my fiancé. Uh, uh, you know, we've never talked about our house. I'd want to design it very specially, uh, a big one for us. Big or small, what's the difference? Sit down, darling, I'll get tomorrow. Well, there could be a great deal of difference, Louise. Well, not in the number of newspapers that pile up when you forget to tell them you're going to be away. <laughs> I suppose not. Of course, the only news in this town today is about the killing of Dr. Ainsley. Poor devil. Oh, and about the curio store fire. Yes, I know. I threw all the papers away but that last one. Did you read about the witness? Witness? To what? To the Ainsley killer. Here, read it while you have your drink. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Hmm? O.B. Willis, the man who owned the curio store, was hurrying to the fire when he saw the killer rush out of Dr. Drugstore. store. He said he could identify him if he saw him again. He what? Well, that's what it is. Why, Chris, what's the matter? Huh? Oh, nothing. Nothing really. I was trying to remember something important. Something I had to do with it these minutes. Well, you didn't even look so stricken about it. Besides, I know anything that's important to you. I know. A call, Louise. A call I must make tonight. It's quite important. Well, all right, darling. Make a call. Phone's just at your elbow, you know. No. No, I mean, uh, I can't make the call here, Louise. It's, uh, well, a little surprise. It has to do with, with our wedding, darling. Why can't? How romantic. I really hate running out on you like this, but you do understand. It's, it's rather special. Very important. <laughs> Not a call, but a hurried trip you're forced to make to catch the last edition of the local papers before they hit the street and stop your picture from being published. Yes, you'll not stop it, Clint. And you hope there's still someone in the copy room as you pound on the door. Hello. Say, look, uh, I've got to talk to the editor of Whoever's in Charge. No. Well, I'm the man, I reckon. Right now. Yeah? I'm in charge. <laughs> good, good, then. I'm not too late. Uh, my name is Harwell, Clint Harwell. You're running my picture tomorrow, and I... Well, I want it to stop. I have a perfectly good reason. Uh, I'm sure you have. Sorry. What do you mean? Well, nothing that can be done about it, mister. But, uh, see here, you're in charge. I'm your man, all right. But only because everybody else is going home. Yeah. Papers all printed up, been called for in the delivery truck, thought it speaks any time now. Then why did you tell Mister, me that? Mister, I'm the janitor. I've got to sweep up now. You mind if I get back to my work? You're too late, aren't you, Clint? And you know what will happen as soon as O.B. Willis sees your picture in tomorrow's paper. He'll go to the sheriff, identify you as the man he saw running out of the drugstore the night Doc Kingsley was killed. You decide there's only one thing to do, don't you, Clint? And ten minutes later, you arrive at a small cottage near the beach. You push through the gate. You hurry up the path to the front door and ring the bell. Come on, come on, come on, answer the door. Oh, shut up, Clint! 
You look upstairs through the darkness to the second floor window of the house next door. You looking for Mr. Willis? Uh, yes. Well, he's not home. He went out a couple of hours ago. You from the insurance company? The uh, insurance company was no. Oh, he's been expecting one. The reason I have his store burned down last night. I suppose you heard about it. Yes, yes. Imagine that's where he is now. Down the store with the workman boarding up the face. Why don't you try there? Well, thanks, but it's it's not important, really. I'll see him in the morning. It's eight blocks from Willis's house along a tree-lined street, past Doc Ainsley's drugstore to the curio shop. And when you arrive there, the place is deserted. The workmen have gone. You stare at the charred remains of the building. And then turn and walk across the street to the lunch counter. Try to over easy, Sam. Evening, sir. Want to see a menu? No, I'll have the coffee. Please? Please. Well, that's a nice blueberry pie. Coffee. Oh, okay. Evening, else for you, Sheriff. Not a thing, Ella. How about you, Mr. Willis? Willis. Your eyes move quickly along the mirror behind the counter and settle on the round-faced little man sitting next to the sheriff, O.B. Willis Clint, the man who can identify you as Doc Ainsley's killer. You turn around, pick up the newspaper lying on the counter. Good night, Ella. Good night. Thanks, Ella. Thanks. As the door closes behind them, you breathe a sigh of relief, don't you, Clint? That was close. Too close. You look up from your newspaper and glance toward the front door. They're standing there, the sheriff and Willis, talking quietly. You watch them out of the corner of your eye, your heart pounding wildly. Finally, they move away. Here you are, sir. Oh, yes. Thanks. Here, here. Wait, you want to call? No, I'm sorry. I just remembered a very important appointment. Very important. Uh-huh. You step out of the lunchroom and see Willis and the sheriff part company down the street. Moving quickly along the shadows, you hurry after Willis, the witness. The man you've got to sight You're only a half block behind him now as he makes his way along the deserted, dimly lighted street. Then he turns into the park, slumps down on a bench, and lights his sight. You circle through the trees until you're standing directly behind him. And then... Oh. Quickly, you draw back into the shadows as you see a man approaching. That you, O.B.? Huh? Oh! <laughs> Evening, Frank. Evening. I thought you were still in San Francisco. Oh, I got back this afternoon. Oh, good to sit down. <laughs> been on the go all day. Hey, what's been going on here, Lars Way? You heard about Josh? Yeah. James. Doggone, James. You tell me you saw the killer. That's right, Perry. Running out back of the drugstore. Good look at him, did you? I sure did. I'd recognize him anywhere. I was on the way to the fire when I saw him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to hear about your fire, O.B. Them protection boys, huh? Yep. Well, one of them called me at the house a little before 11. Said it was too bad I hadn't joined the association because something was going to happen to my store. Oh, I'd get right, And that's when I ran down to the store. 
I got there a little too late. And you insured. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a good thing, too. Had a lot of money invested in that shop. You know, O.B., I've been thinking. Maybe there's some connection with Doc's murder in the fire ship. How do you mean? Well, them protection boys again. At the time, some of them were over at Doc, putting the pressure on him to sign up. Maybe they pressed it too hard. Still, Doc, accidentally. Hey, Perry, I never saw that. Yeah, it could have happened that way, O.B. Sure, it could have happened just like that, just. He's right, isn't he, Clint? The blame for Doc Ainsley's death could very well be placed on the hoodlums who burned down Willis's store. And they could be blamed for killing Willis, too. It's a perfect setup. to your home, slip your revolver into your pocket, and then drive back toward the home of O.B. Willis, parked in the shadows a block away. Then you walk to a spot directly across the street, wait in the dark behind the palm tree for Willis to return. After what seems hours, Willis finally appears. By the time he reaches his front door, you're right behind him. Willis, open the door. Get inside. Oh, wait a minute. You heard me open the door. Nobody there. 
Sheriff, do you think you should have gone back to the store? Yeah, probably. Hello, Mr. Howell. This is Johnny Fane, insurance adjuster from San Francisco. Fane, Mr. Fane is here to settle things with Willis. That's right. You see, we found the man who stepped fire to Willis' store. Oh, you you have? Yeah. Had an eye on him ever since Mr. Fane's company tipped me off about him six months ago. Man's well-known arsonist. Burned down two other stores in two other cities during the past eight years. Wait a minute. You mean that old B. Willis? We're convinced he set the fire to his store himself. I don't understand. What about the men who threatened him, the protection racketeers? (laughs) Just a gag. He used it before, too. <laughs> but he couldn't have set the fire. At 11 o'clock last night, he no, was... I know. He said he was walking past Ainsley's drugstore. Saw Doc's killing. Yeah, sure. That put O.B. half a mile from the fire when it started. So he wanted us to believe. You mean he, he, he lied? That's right. Willis didn't see Doc's killer. He wasn't anywhere near the drugstore at 11. He was setting fire to his curio shop. No. No, it can't be. I, I... Well... We're going to go on inside, wait for Willis to show up. Oh, uh, you better come with us, Mr. Arlo. You don't mind, do you? Welcome back. I guess this is a story that illustrated that if you commit one murder, committing the additional murders are not really a big deal for you. Although they are bad ideas and beget their own problems. I guess if there were a sub a lesson to this particular story. It's not to mess around with the type of people who commit murder. You know, the drugstore owner had the idea that our guy was a murderer and so set up a situation where he got to confront him alone. I get that some people might be reluctant with sharing a suspicion like that because that can lead to legal liability and it's also, you know, a a bit of a moral thing where you can really just damage someone's reputation with gossip when you don't know. But if you really have a good enough reason to go to the lengths of editing someone's uh, pictures that they brought in for development, you really ought to bring a witness along. And if you need an alibi, it really should go without saying that uh, claiming to be the only witness to a murder where the killer may have thought that no one saw him is a really bad idea. So I don't know if that qualifies exactly as a moral. That may be as close as we get to one with this particular episode. And I I do think that the low sound quality note was warranted, but I could still understand and make out everything that was going on. So Great job with for the old-time radio researchers on this. I do want to just say that if you do enjoy and appreciate this sort of work, you can go over to otrr.org and uh, donate to support it. They're in no way sponsoring the show or affiliated with it, but I think it's a good plug for an organization that's doing some great work. Well, join us back here next Wednesday where we'll bring you another lost episode of The Whistler with a much shorter intro, I promise. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.